Hi, everybody. How's everybody doing today? My name is Tim, and uh, if you're a first-time guest here, welcome to Greater Alton Church. Glad you, you're with us this morning, and uh, hope you'll just uh, sit back, relax. Um, we had somebody the other day writing a prayer card, or say to somebody, not in a prayer card, but say to somebody, uh, boy, what a relaxed, laid-back church. And I hope that's what you find to be true, that you can relax here. We're going to look at the Word of God, be encouraged by it. Hopefully you're encouraged by it, you know. Uh, I, I'm always encouraged by it, challenged by it, and uh, you leave here in better shape than when you came here this morning. i got a few things here. If you'll notice in your bulletin, if you look in your bulletins, uh, I think on the back page we have our ladies' treat coming up this weekend. And, and you know, it's, uh, it's going to be here on the campus. Uh, it's called Old Ladies, and I, know, I don't know how you all feel about that. Some of you ladies may not be as excited about that title of maybe, as others. But uh, when you stop and think about it, though, you look at the picture, it's obvious what it's trying to say here. It's talking about some Old Testament women that we can learn from. And and this weekend, we're going to be looking at four women in the Old Testament, four or five. Uh, I know my wife's working on Eve. You know, she's only mentioned four times in the Bible. Yet everybody knows who Eve is, okay? And uh, we're going to be looking at, uh, again, four or five different women in the Bible, very powerful lessons and and what, one of the things I want to encourage you to do, ladies, is to sign up. Maybe you haven't signed up yet. It's out here at the Welcome Center. The sign-up sheet is and pay today. We, it's very cheap today. Is it like 20 bucks? 20 bucks. Man, that last, I think last year's retreat was a little more than that, wasn't it? Yeah. And some of you are saying, are we going to be in hotels? Well, if you want to have a sleepover at your house, go for it. I may be getting kicked out of mine. So, fellas, I need a place to stay. But, uh, you know, we're going to have a great time. It's going to have uh, the 20 bucks is covering some of the materials. We're having a continental breakfast. Those of you who uh, like, a, like a nice light breakfast, or, uh, Ryan and a few others are providing a continental breakfast. And then we're going to be having a, a luncheon uh, uh, offered by FEMA that's going to be at lunch. It's going to be a great, great time. So we encourage you ladies to make sure you sign up and, and get, so we can get a head count. Hate for you to come and then you, nobody knows you were here, we don't have a plate for you, okay? It's going to be a great time being together. That's going to be this Friday night and Saturday. Wow, it's, April's going to be here before you know it, right? Let's see, the other thing I want you to notice inside the bulletin, you look inside and turn, look to the right upper, there's something about our kids' ministry, and I'm very excited about our kids' ministry. Uh, it's a, Discovery Land is, is devoted to raising spiritual champions, helping you parents, uh, aunts and uncles too, to help, help uh, those you're influencing uh, become Christians, powerful Christians uh, today. And so uh, we're going to be having a thing called an orientation session. And this is required by everyone that's going to be involved in our discovery land. We want to make sure that everybody understands what we're trying to do, what our goals are, what's our strategy, uh, as well as what is required out of, uh, of volunteers. We just don't let anybody work with their kids. You wouldn't want us to do that, right? Not just anybody. You want to make sure that they're, they're spiritual people. They're disciples of Christ. And uh, one of the things we're doing is we're going through this handbook, and that'll be happening, I think, on the 14th? 13th, thank you. It's during the first service in class 14, classroom 14. And if you're interested, if you're interested in uh, working in our kids' ministry, this, this, this is open to you to come check out so you can see what we're about, what we're trying to accomplish and you can fill out an application, not very long, but just kind of give us an idea of what you're about, and uh, we'll consider having you in our Discovery Land ministry. We'd love to have you in our Discovery Land ministry. 
that's that's some of the things that's going on in the bulletin, and hope you'll uh, um, check it out and read it. Of course, again, inside that bulletin, you're going to find a set of notes, and the set of notes is that it's just a chance for you to go through the lesson. I have more scripture up on the screen than I had room on paper, so you'll have to pay attention. Okay, we'll be looking at the screen every once in a while in our PowerPoint presentation. But we, we, we give you these, uh, these notes. I give you these notes so you can take it home and look at it again. You should check out what you're being told from the Bible. You should really check it out. Uh, I know some of you go, oh, Tim, you're a nice guy. That doesn't mean that I, I know what I'm talking about. Some of you go, we already know that. Okay, good. But, I, but you know, you need to check out what you're being taught, whether it be by me or someone on TV or, or just your mom, your dad, anybody. Uh, look to see if the Scriptures bear witness of that and they support that. Uh, also, uh, you're going to notice a communication card inside your bulletin. Here's your chance to write maybe a, something out, maybe a decision you're making today or a request. You'll see some boxes to check. Uh, for example, today we're going to be talking about finances in our series on stewardship. And you may, want, you may be moved to go, you know what, I need some extra help with my finances. I'd like to encourage you to check that box. Um, but listen to the lesson first and see if, that's, if that would appeal to you, okay? So we're talking about stewardship, and we've been, we've been covering this since the beginning of the year. We've learned that stewardship is more than, than um, just our money. Today we have to be talking about money. If you uh, are, again, guest here, you say, oh my goodness, I come to church, they're talking about money. We don't talk about money very much. We really don't. Uh, but it's a part of what the Bible teaches. You know, did you know that Jesus talks about money in his parables almost half the time? And that the topic of money is in the Bible more than love. More than love. That the Bible talks about money more than heaven and hell combined. That's interesting. And, you know, and, and when we looked at stewardship, when we looked at this whole idea of what does it mean to be a steward, we've learned that it's more than just money, but it's how we really manage everything in life. Our time, our treasures, you know, our approach to what we invest our life in. That's what those sharks, you say, what's a shark about? Go to the Welcome Center and get, a, get that lesson. And, and Gary did a great job, and he'll, ex, he'll, he'll explain I'll let him explain it. Last week, we talked about our story, that God wants us to manage our testimony or our story. And so uh, this week, I want to talk about a little bit about uh, managing our money. You know, um, I don't know about you, but money is a, is a difficult thing to manage. Would you agree? Uh, I've got, I, I think I've, I, Pat, do we have anything up on the screen we can look at here? Here's one. This is old, but I don't know if you've run into this lately. You know, some of it costs an arm and a leg. And by the way, the price is only 269 then. <laughs> I saw a cartoon. I couldn't find it again. And it showed uh, highway robbery in 1881. It shows this guy holding, you know, mask and a stagecoach. Everybody's got their hands up. And then, and... 2014, it shows a guy holding a gas pump in his car. You know, highway robbery. Maybe you've been experiencing some of that. Here's another one. When it comes to managing money, I love this. I have, a, I have enough money to live comfortably for the rest of my life if I die next Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's another one. This one uh, you got another one, Pat? He's having trouble getting it up. I think it's a genie. or it's, yeah, Somebody telling the future, and he says... You're having, you, you, you manage your money poorly, and it's the stack of money's right there by the crystal ball. Of course, he's going to take his money, you know, in that sense. And then there's a, a Bernie Madoff uh, cartoon I thought was really funny. 
in a Bernie Madoff cartoon. It shows the first day in prison with, for Bernie Madoff. And he's got his back to you. And there's this guy sitting there in the cell with him going, so let me see if I get this straight, Bernie. If I give you this many cigarettes, you're going to give me how many cigarettes? <laughs> and, he, and he says, that's how it works. <laughs> I thought, boy, and all about you, but man, managing money can be tough to do. You know, as of right now, here in March of 2014, as of right now, Americans owe $357 billion in credit card, just in credit card debt. That the average credit card balance in America is $15,000 right now on March 30th. That the student, uh, you know, your student loans, they've went up 12% since last year to $33,000 right now. That's what we're having. That's what's happening right now. Americans right now, regardless of how much money you make, you can make the minimum wage or be paid way over much you're worth. It doesn't matter. Americans spend 8 to 10% more than they earn. That's the average. And when it comes to saving, only a handful of us are saving in, a, in this country, somewhere around 2%. And those that save average about 3%. Is that amazing? It's obvious we're having trouble. No, no does, it, does it surprise you, you and me? It shouldn't. That 64% of American families say that tension and stress in their homes and their marriages comes from money. Getting arguments about money. Did you get into an argument about money with somebody today, uh, this week? Not just today, this week. Arguing about how to make ends meet. I'd like to make ends meet, Tim, but one of them, I've lost one of the ends. I understand. Uh, me too. We, we can lose track so quickly. Look what Solomon says. Solomon says in the book of Proverbs, Riches disappear in the blink of an eye. Wealth sprouts wings and flies off into the wild blue yonder. Huh? Am I right? Is Solomon right? Yeah. You know, you, you, well, if you don't manage money, you get upside down very quickly. It says here in 1 Timothy, look what the Bible says in 1 Timothy. And it's, this to me is interesting that even in the, during the Bible times, yes, I assume everybody in the Bible was poor. Everybody in the Bible didn't have anything. Obviously, we know that the people had money. Paul tells this young preacher, Timothy, he says, here's what I want you to do. He goes, those who want to become rich, he says, look at this, bring temptation to themselves. Those that have this desire, doesn't matter how much money you have. I know people have a lot of money. J.D. Rockefeller one time asked him, how much money do you want to make? And he says, a little bit more, a little bit more. Well, you don't have to make a lot of money to have that, that idea in your mind. It's a great temptation to have more. We get this idea, if I have more, then I'm more important. Life has more meaning. I'll have more pleasure. So it's a great temptation. It says, look here, they are caught in a trap. Does that describe America? The debt trap we're in, in over our heads. They begin to want many foolish things that will hurt them. Oh, that's just for young people. Really? We want many things, and they hurt us. These things, he says, things that ruin and destroy people. He says the love of money. He didn't say money causes this. The love of money. By the way, I wonder what it would say if, it's, if it said the management of money. What would it do? Because the love of money, it says, causes all kinds of evil. I wonder what the management of money would cause. Or the love of God in relation to our money. What would it cause? 
He says the love of money causes all kinds of evil. A uh, better way to say, money makes people funny. Have you ever noticed that? You're, you're, everything's going well, and then you bring money into it, and it just makes things kind of funny. And I don't mean ha-ha funny. Some people have left the true faith because they want to get more and more money. But they have caused themselves much sorrow. I've been a Christian long enough now. I've been a, a, a preacher long enough now. I've watched people come and go. And a lot of it I've watched has been kids who I've watched and when I te- taught them with puppets in Bible hour and Bible time, and I'm going way back, grow up, and then they get a job, and just the time when they're just now becoming a contributor, they leave. They've been getting and getting and getting and getting and getting and getting, and then something happens. They, now they have an opportunity to give back, and they're gone. Why? Because they want more. I haven't got time for all that, Tim. Why not? Well, I've, I'm busy working. I'm busy earning. And so I can't focus on the eternal... Well, I tell you, we are upside down when it comes to money management. Would you agree? And yet the Bible says, the Bible tells us that God gives us money and gives us wealth or gives us resources or gives us possessions. And in fact, look at, look at here in Proverbs 10, what, what Solomon says. The earnings of the godly enhance their lives. I thought that's an interesting verse. He's saying that when you're godly, what's a godly person? Well, that's a good person. It's a person who seeks to please God who seeks to obey and put into practice what God has to say about any given topic that relates to their life. And, it, and it, when it comes to finances, the earnings of the godly enhance. What's another word for enhance? Improve? Help? Accent? Make better? They enhance their lives. You see, when I manage, when I learn to manage the things that God has given me, it actually makes life better. It doesn't lead to evil. It leads to something good. I got to thinking, what, why does God give me money then? Why would God... Because the Bible's got rich people in it. It's got people that get money. It's got people in there that spend money. It's got people in there that give money. And money is a big topic in the Bible. So why does God give me money to begin with? Let me give you a few reasons why I think God gives you money. Gives you and I money. The first reason is so I can take care of my family. Duh. Would you agree with that? Of course I should be able to take care of my family. I want to be able to feed my family, clothe my family, put a roof over the head. That makes sense. The Bible tells us to take care of our families. In fact, the Bible says if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. It says if you won't work, you shouldn't eat. It's pretty blunt. So God gives you and I money. He gives us blessings. He gives us possessions. He gives us things so we can take care of our family. What's, there's nothing wrong with using money to feed your family, to clothe your family, provide a, a, a roof over their head, to send them to college. You know, I, my second son's going to graduate. Hallelujah, pass the peas, man, because, man, I'll have a little more college payments. <laughs> it's expensive sending kids to school. But, you know, I'm glad I was able to do it. Denise and I are so glad we were able to do it. And so, so sometimes, it's, you know, that's why God gives us money to take care of our family. The other one is to advance His work. God gives you and I money to advance His work in the kingdom of God, in His kingdom. You set 
many of you here, we all sit here. I stand here because of somebody else's generosity in the past. Somebody else came, they saw, somebody cast a vision and said, let's do this, let's start this, let's, but we're going to have to finance it. And the people said, we're behind it. And, and it's your turn, in other words. It's my turn. And the kids in the back, the kids that are discovery land, the kids that are going to come through these doors. They're going to inherit a, a place, a church, hopefully, that's going to be awesome for their lives. And it's due to somebody giving, due to you giving. Praise God. And so, it, so God gives us money to advance His work. It does take money. It does take resources. And not just for a church, but for His work to be done in your neighborhood or in your home or, or elsewhere. Number three, God gives me money to mature me. I don't know. I've learned lots of lessons about life by managing money. I've learned a lot of lessons mismanaging money. I won't do that again. A sucker is born every... I know some of us say, I can beat that. You know, and how many times have we, oh man, that was stupid. I won't do that again. I learned something. Money taught me how to strategize. That you have to strategize. You have to budget. You have to think ahead. You have to save. You have to delay, you know, pleasures sometimes and, and wait. Taught me how to be patient. It has all these life lessons. It also teaches me what's important to me. What should be important to me, what I, where I should invest, and where I should not. All these lessons in life. I think that's why the Bible talks about it so much. You know, Jesus said in Luke 16, He said this. It's not in your notes, not up here on the screen, but it's in your Bibles. I know it's there. It says that if you can't listen, if you can't be trusted with worldly possessions or worldly treasures, how can you be trusted with true riches? True riches. And Jesus goes on to say, you cannot serve God and money. You've got to choose. So money is a test sometimes when I get money. When God, sometimes the lack of money is a test. But the presence of money is a test too. God blesses me with this. What am I going to do with it? What will I do with it now? Another reason God gives us money, the last reason I got is to help others. And that's the self you know, that makes sense, right? He gives me money so I can help other people because sometimes it takes money to help other people. It isn't just all for me, but it's to be generous and to help others with that. Now, if he gives me all this money, because we're all going to earn different amounts of money through our lifetime, it's so easy to get upside down in our culture then God doesn't want us to waste it. He wants us to be good stewards of it. He wants us to experience financial freedom. And if wherever you are in the debt you're in or how you're spending your money, you know, God wants you to, to, to improve your management of it. Okay? He just wants you to improve it. And that's what I want to talk about today is, is for me to be able to use this money that He's given me to help others or to advance His kingdom or to take care of my family or even to mature me, I'm going to have to learn, I'm going to have to go after this financial freedom 
It's, it's managing the money the way God tells me to. How does that happen? What do I do for, to experience financial freedom? Some of you here, it's very difficult for you to do any of this that I just described because you're, you're just in hock up to here. And God's saying, I don't want you to be in debt up to here. I want you to be able to help others and do things with the blessings I give you. So how does that happen? Well, first, the first thing I can do is I acknowledge that God owns everything. Now, I know we've heard this over and over and over, perhaps in every lesson. God owns everything. God owns it all. And, you know, for me, I kept thinking, okay, I can show you Proverbs 24, 1 again, but I, I found some other verses. You know, you could, there's a lot of places in the Bible that talk about God's ownership. And here's one of them in Haggai 2, 8. God said this, the silver is mine and the gold is mine declares the Lord. He doesn't say the silver is mine, the gold is mine, hand it over, and no one will get hurt. He doesn't say that, okay? He said it's mine. It's already mine. What you, the money you've got in your pocket, it's actually mine. The valuables you have, they're mine. I own everything. In Psalms 104, it says it this way, O Lord, how many are your works? In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. He's saying that it's all yours. Now, we talk about this every week, and you might say, why, why do we do that? Here's why. Listen to me. Ownership is at the heart of stewardship. It's always at the heart. If you're having trouble managing, you better take a gut check. Look at your heart. It's so easy, guys, when we're looking at, looking at our bills, looking at car titles, deeds, our mail, where we put our name on our dishes or whatever, we think it's ours. And it's not. Everything belongs to God. And the sooner I get this figured out, the easier it is for me to manage it. As soon as I figure this out, it's not mine. It belongs to somebody else. Look at First Chronicles 29. I find this... I'd like you to go back and read this chapter sometime. It's David. You all know about David. He's a man after God's own heart. He's the guy that killed Goliath with the stone and the sling. He becomes the second king of Israel. And, and what we learn is he's wanting to build the temple. Most of the book of Psalms is written by David. The man loves to worship God, loves to sing, and loves to celebrate. In fact, when they brought the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, he's dancing, just dancing like crazy with such joy. And when it came time to build the temple, he says, Lord, I want to build the temple. God says, no. Why not? Of all people, that's the guy you want. God says, you have too much blood on your hands. You can't build the temple. You mean, I can't? You won't let me build the temple? I've written a ton of songs about you. I know. But you've got too much blood on your hands. I'll use your son. Now, is David completely out of the process, out of the, the whole building process? No. I love this. Guys, there may be a ministry or a particular thing that God, because of something you've done, it's not a good fit for you. It doesn't mean God can't use you. God may use you in another way. And he uses David in another way. He says, David, could you at least get all the material together? And get it ready for your son. David's like, what? Of course. And here in First, in First Chronicles 29, 
He says, he says this, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth, for, for it's yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. And he says that on the heels of saying this, I'm emptying my personal treasury to make sure the temple gets built. He gives everything he has to make sure the temple gets built. And he says, God, it, it's yours. And then he goes on to say, and really, he goes on to say after this verse, technically, Father, you gave it to all of us. We're just giving it back to you. What's he saying? He's saying, Lord, it's yours. And if we could just get this straight, maybe we'd, maybe we'd be able to manage money in a way that pleases God. I'm sure we could. There was a business tycoon one time who uh, he'd always heard his all of his life he can't take it with you. Well, he was about to break that. He says, "I can't. I'm going to take it with me." He asked his wife, "Listen, I want you to take all my my assets. I want you to sell them. I want you to put all the cash in a bag, in a sack, in a gunny sack, and I want you to put it in the attic. So when I die, as I'm going to heaven, I'll grab that sack and take it with me." She goes, "Okay, all right, honey." So she gets all of his stuff together, all the cash, puts it in the attic, and a few days later, he dies. And out of curiosity, she sneaks up to the attic, opens and looks, and there's that bag, that gunny sack is still sitting there. And she goes, oh, I knew I should have put that in the basement. <laughs> Ouch. It didn't matter if she put it in the basement or put it in the attic or put it out in the garage. You can't take it with you. It doesn't, it doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. You know, Solomon, he's, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, and he decided he was going to seek everything out and see what the purpose of life was. And look what he says when he talks about money and possessions. He says the person can work hard using all his wisdom, knowledge, and skill, but he will die. And other people will get the things he worked for. They did, not do, they did not do the work, but they'll get everything. This is also unfair and useless. What's he saying? This sucks. This is unfair. I don't like this. What? You can't take it with you. Why can't I take it with me? Because it wasn't mine to begin with. And it's not yours to begin with. It stays here. You realize even your body stays here? I heard somebody, I've said this before, you're born naked in this world and naked you will go. No, that's not true either. The body even stays here. All that I got is eternal things. All you and I really have is eternal things. Our body will even stay here and become worm food. It all stays. And if we could just, we got to get that straight. Have you figured that out yet? That God owns it all? And when you realize, I, I ask you, maybe do an inventory check. What are the things that God owns that I've tried to say are mine? What area of stewardship right now do I need to be working on the most? Because I have a problem with ownership in that particular category. Is it money? Is it things? Is it talent? Is it time? What would it be? Because it starts with ownership. 
I will, next week's lesson, you, you get ready to fill it out. It'll start with that point. It always starts, always starts there. Stewardship always starts there. What's the second thing I can do to, to experience financial freedom? The next thing I can do is I can resist the pull of my culture. My culture is constantly trying to get me to convince me of how to manage my money. And look at the book of Romans says here in the message paraphrase. It's a paraphrase. It takes liberty sometimes uh, a little more than I would. But I love the way it says it. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. I think one translation says, don't let the world force you into a mold. Into their mold. But be what God wants you to be. You know, right now, advertisers are spending thousands and thousands, millions and millions of dollars to get you to do one thing. Spend. Am I right? They're trying to get that money out of your pocket. You thought the preachers were all in cahoots. Really? Man, the world's much slicker at that than any preacher. And they're trying to get you to, to buy this, get this. You'll be cool. You'll be important. You'll be with it. Get the latest, the best gadget. And they, by the way, you're going, to spend, you're going to spend, guys, today. You will watch 50 to 100 commercials today. Commercials like the one Pat's about to show us. Tell me what this is about. I found this on my iPhone. It was sent to me by Jim Shrimp. Get some lights down. Somebody, please. You got any volume, Pat? Uh-oh. There's no volume. Well, we need newer, better, bigger equipment. No. selling with this commercial because it messed with me. It's about a woman bringing her dog to the vet to be put down and she's remembering. What were they selling? I think they were selling cars, Tim. Uh-uh. They were messing with me so I'd think of their product and maybe buy it because of a puppy. Are you kidding me? Our advertisers think we're that stupid? Yes, because we are that stupid. Jim shows this. We're watching this. Jim goes, watch this. And he, he knows it's going to mess with me. So he's having some enjoyment. Jim, look at this. I'm watching it. 
And at the end, I'm going, <laughs> I look over and he goes, it's good, isn't it? <laughs> I go, Jim, what's going on? <laughs> Nothing, I'm fine. <laughs> you know, we're like, what were they selling? Advertisers will do anything they can to get, our culture will do anything it can to get you to spend. And I've got to learn to resist that or I'll get upside down so fast. The world says, oh, if you have this, why, well, you're smarter than everybody. You've got to have the latest. You know anybody like this? I got, the, I got the phone before it came out. I got the latest thing. No, I'm not saying, can I have it, Tim? Well, yeah, you can have it. But you realize that you're surrendering to some pull from your culture. Your culture is trying to tell, define for you what matters. I ask you this, are you pulled by the kingdom like that? Are you pulled by the Lord like that? Because you and I serve a jealous God. And He will not even let Chevrolet have its place. Not His place. Oh, the culture, man, it really does. It just pulls away. Look at, look at the Bible says. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. He says, you've got to fight your culture. You've got to resist your culture. You've got to learn to be content. How do I become content? Thank God the answer is right, right in the next, ver- right next part of that verse. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. What is he saying? He said, I will take care of you. A new car is not going to take care of you like I can. Your smartphone may be pretty smart and can do a lot of stuff. I can do a bunch more. Trust me. Be satisfied with me in your life. And you will be free of the love of money. It won't have that appeal. It won't have such a strong pull. Number three, if I want to experience financial freedom, I've got to get serious about paying my debts. Everybody's got debt. That's the, you know, there used to be guys, I remember when I was, I was born in 1957. And I've been told, and I experienced early in the 60s, when people were in debt, it usually meant a house payment and maybe a car payment. That was about it. Not anymore. Not anymore. We're paying for everything with payments. Electronics. We're paying, we're paying not only electronics, we're paying for, just, you, just to think about this, you're paying for appliances, we're paying for clothing that we may not even have in the closet anymore. What's really embarrassing is I'm paying for food that's already gone out of my body. I'm still paying for it. Have you ever thought about that? It's debt. And, you know, by the way, you spend 20% more using a credit card. You spend that much more money because it's so easy to do. I've got to get serious about paying my, bill, my debts. You're saying it's sin to have debt? Well, no. I think the Bible just warns us about debt, to be careful with debt. Look at it says. It says here about, uh, about debt. It's stupid to run huge bills you can never pay. The Bible says that. It says it's stupid. That's what debt will do. It's stupid. He says, not only that, notice he says, why is this so stupid? Well, borrowers are servants to lenders. 
we become slaves to the people who, who we owe. I've, I've said it before here in the stage before. You know, Tennessee Ernie Ford had an old song that said 16 tons. And what do you get? Another day old more, deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. I ought to put that on YouTube. Yeah, okay. Maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> but just that whole idea that, you know, I become the servant of the lender, the bill collector, the person I owe. I end up having to do everything. To, I, get, I can't get ahead. You can get up, upside down so quickly. I heard somebody say one time, expenses are getting easier to meet these days. Everything, Everywhere I go, I seem to run into them. And that's true. We run into expenses. We run into bills. You, you can't help the, the email, the mail, the phone. Everything's reminding us you owe, you owe, you owe. And i got to get serious about paying it off. Now, I know some of you here... You might say, well, you want to say something about bankruptcy? I'm going to say that's one solution people often use. And, I, and the thing is, it doesn't solve your debt problem. Your debt problem is you're not paying your bills. If you're not paying your bills, that's a problem. And bankruptcy may get you off the hook once. I know a guy that's went through two of them, and he still managed to find a way to buy a new car. I don't know how he does it. I never asked Jim, how does a guy do that after following two, year, two years in a row and follows with a brand new Jeep? I don't get it. How does he do that? Is he breaking the law? But a lot of people think, well, if I, can't, if I can't pay for it, I can always file bankruptcy. God says, how about pay it off? How about try to pay it off? It says here, look what it says here. It says, evil, evil men borrow and cannot pay it back. But the good man returns what he owes with some extra besides. I'll pay it off with interest if I have to. I've got to get serious about my debts if I want to be financially free. Now, this is a very touchy topic, and I'm making a real short point here, but I, I do want to say this. If you're interested in learning how to get a better grip on your finances, you need to check that box. I need some help with money management. Okay? And either we can get some individual or a group or a class or something. There's enough of us. And we can sit down and let's look at this. Because God wants you to pay it back. He wants you to be debt-free. Number four, I, I, I experience financial freedom when I practice generosity. Oh, here it comes. Tim's going to get me here. He's going to try to get more money from me. I don't need your money. Let me, listen to me. I don't need your money. I don't want your money. Some of you know what I mean by that. I don't want it. God wants your money. God wants your money. It's His. Sometimes I wonder if He would do a J.G. Wentworth on you or I. It's my money. And I want it now. <laughs> sure it takes the lovingness of generosity when you look at it that way. But I, I tell you, when you read your Bibles, guys, you'll find a lot of places where it encourages you and I to practice being generous. Look what it says here in Proverbs. A generous man will prosper. 
Now, that's what the Bible says. Well, how does that happen? Is that like a Bernie Madoff? If I give this much money, I'll get this much? I don't know if you're going to prosper that way. I know some that have. I know I have. I've prospered that way. But I've also prospered in other ways. And you will too when you're generous. He says, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. He says, there's something, I get blessed. Didn't Jesus say it's more blessed to give than receive? There's more refreshment in giving and being generous than just receiving and getting. I think what Solomon's saying here is that my standard of giving determines my standard of living when you stop and think about it. I've given you a few thoughts here. Uh, What does generosity do? I hope will motivate you because they motivate me. For example, generosity expresses my gratitude to God. You want to say thank you to God? Be a generous person. Here's what the Bible says. Up here on the screen it says, I will give you an offering to show thanks to you and I will pray to the Lord. The psalmist says, I'm going to give an offering to show how how grateful I am. Generosity and gratitude go together. You want to express your gratitude to God? Be generous with what He gives you. Second thing, generosity identifies myself with the greatest giver of all. In other words, generosity makes me like God. I do something that God does. Look at the Bible says here. We know this passage. We know it by heart. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. God is a giver. God is a generous God. And I don't know, I like myself. I like what I'm doing when I'm generous. I like that. Why? Because it's like God. It's so rewarding to feel that way. Another thing is generosity breaks the grip of materialism. When I, let go, when I, when I can let go of stuff, it's saying it doesn't have a grip on me. Years ago, look at, well, look at this passage. Look at this passage. It says, beware, don't be greedy for what you don't have. Real life is not measured by how much we own. And Jesus is saying this, and Jesus was generous. What did he have when he was dead on the cross, when he's dying on the cross? He had a garment, didn't he? About it. He didn't have much. Why? It didn't matter to him. I will say to you ladies, pay close attention to Denise's introduction about Eve. And it will support this very idea. Generosity breaks the grip of materialism. Years ago, before this building was built, some of you were here. Larry Manns had this land in the back that he had for sale. And he knew we wanted that land. He didn't budge on the price one penny. And so we decided, well, how, you know, our leadership got together. We got to raise the money to get this land. So we asked everybody, listen, we know everybody's going to give different amounts. We understand that. But we're calling you to equal sacrifice. Let's all sacrifice. I gave, I gave uh, $25,000 to that campaign. I had it in the bank. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I just don't feel like that's doing much for me. I didn't feel happy, not because of how much it was. It just didn't seem to bring... I don't know, I just didn't feel good about it. I didn't feel right about it. And, and then, it, for some reason, some, I don't know, Holy Spirit, whatever it be, I have this tractor sitting in my shed. It's an Alice Chalmers tractor. And the tractor, uh, I bought it a few years earlier. 
and it's the same color, same kind of tractor that the one my dad used to own, and I used to sit on the little toolbox on the fender, and we would go up and down the fields and talk, and I'd watch him. And you know, my dad would never wore a shirt half the time, and he'd get dark and tanned, and you know, and, and he we'd sit there and talk and giggle, and I'd just watch my dad. He had these beautiful green eyes. Some of the most pleasant childhood memories I have are on that tractor, smelling the freshly plowed soil, and and you could smell the. We're going to be. You, you know what I'm talking about. When the rain's coming, you can smell the rain. Oh man, it was awesome. Lots of fun. And this tractor reminded me of that. I I have pictures and video of my boys sitting with me on this little tractor. And it hit me. Maybe I should sell my tractor. Why would you want to sell your tractor? I had people say, why would you want to do that? I know how much that means to you. I don't know. Uh, I got the money, but I'm going to sell it anyway. Why? I just feel like I should. And so I sell... We, we didn't have it in the paper a day or two. Guy comes up, I'll buy it. Really? Yeah. And he puts it in his trailer and drives off. And Denise and I, and I'm bawling, she's bawling. Why are we crying? Because there's a lot of memories going. It's not the tractor we rode on. My dad, my, my dad and I did not ride on this tractor together. This is, reminds me of that. And it hits me. I'm so sad as I watch it drive away. And then I start getting angry because I discovered something. It had a grip on me. And that's why I needed to get rid of it. I need to be able to say to the world and to my God, this culture is not going to tell me what's important. I got another tractor. Okay, a couple of years ago, I just bought one. It's been several years. But he said, I think the time of mourning is past. <laughs> and so I got me this little cheapo Ford. Does it remind you of your dad? Not even close. Nothing like my dad, the tractors we had. You know, and can I, will I let go of it? If I feel like I should, I will let go of that thing. Why? Because materialism, the things that, oh, guys, listen, have you found yourself walking around? I see us. I'll tell you what, I'm not the only person who does this. You ever walk around like this? Hey, I need some help with something. Okay, well, all right. I can't. I've got to let go of this in order to do that. You ever, you ever notice that you carry this thing around? It's almost, why don't we just have it surgically attached? That's a great idea. <laughs> well, it's ridiculous what's happening. These things are beginning that we own are trying to own us. And they own our dreams, our directions, our choices, our decisions. We make choices based on whether or not our things will allow it. That, folks, is a grip of materialism. And when you say, no, I let go of you, you know what you're saying? You're saying to the culture, you will not define what's important to me. And you're saying to God, you matter more than this. When you're generous, it breaks that grip. Here's another thing it does. Generosity honors God. You want to honor God? Be a generous person. Look what it says here. Honor the Lord by giving Him the first part of your income. He's saying, you, before you do anything else with anything you earn, start with honoring God with it. He says, He'll fill your barns to overflowing. What's He saying? You can't outgive God. Try it. Just try it. I, he says, I double dog. I triple dog dare you. Try it. Is that in the Hebrew, Tim? No. But he's saying, 
Solomon's saying, he's learned this. He says, you honored God with the first part. And my experience has been, my barn overflows. He blesses me back. He gives it back to me in some way. More than I, than I give. And the other thing, another thing generosity does is, is it, it invests in the future. When I'm generous, I invest in the future. Again, Paul talking to Timothy, I believe here. And look what he says. He's tell the rich people to do good. Now, some of you are saying, well, I'm not rich, so I don't have to do good. Huh? What? Compared to the world, you are living in luxury. Anybody living in a cardboard box this week? Anybody? I know you're living in, maybe in a dump somewhere, but there's people by the arts who are living in cardboard boxes. There's, peop- there's people, you know this, I'm not going to give you the old people in China are starving to death, but you know it's true. You know in Syria, there's children that are suffering with nothing. They're eating Roots that they dig, dried up roots. They're boiling and eating those. You're poor. I'm poor. I just can't make my cable bill, Tim. I feel sorry for you. Tell the rich people. He's telling Timothy. Hey, you rich people. Those of you who are rich in the world, be rich in doing good things. To be generous and ready to share it. And here's why. By doing that, it says, you will be saving a treasure for yourself as a strong foundation. A strong foundation that's for, that's for, if I understand correctly here, that's for the future. They'll be able, it says, and, and you'll be able to have a life that is true life. I, I want you to know, some, you know what, uh, I want you to know, love of God motivates me to be a generous person. And I know many of you are motivated by, by that too. Can I tell you there's another thing that motivates you? And that's your kids and your grandkids. You know, now that I'm going to be a grandparent, I want you to know, I'm thinking about grandparents more, grandkids more. I'm thinking about that next generation more. But, but I want you to understand something here. I'm not just giving, and you're not just giving for your kids and grandkids, but for the kids and grandkids of the person next to you. You ought to be thanking them. I want to thank you for what... giving me a church like this for my kids to grow up in. And giving me a church after I'm dead and gone, if you're dead and gone, it's going to be... Providing, I mean, good, solid Bible teaching, good, solid direction, a passion and a heart for God to my grandkids, to my grandson, to my granddaughter. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Susan. Who do you thank? Who do you need to thank? Jim, I want to thank you. You know what I'm saying? I could do it all to you. Because I'm assuming you're generous. And you, when you guys, we touch the future. When we're just simply generous with the things that 
that God gives us. And we support ministry. That's the last thing there. Generosity supports ministry. Lord gave orders to those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. And you all know, you all know, guys, we have people here in our staff that because you're giving, you're, genero- you're generous, they can, they can focus totally on what they're doing for the, for the, for the kingdom. They don't have to go to a factory. They don't have to go to, to, to some, put, you know, put this or that. They, they can focus on just helping this church be what God wants it to be. And I want you to know, I know that I know I've got I, I know these people that's on staff, and let me tell you, they're giving more than 40 hours a week. That many times they get up at six and they're in bed by midnight, and it's not playing, but it's giving themselves to God. They could, could they make money? I'm going to tell you something. With drive like that, you know they could make much more money somewhere else. Do you know anybody would love to hire somebody who puts in 16 hours a day for the same pay? Absolutely. I know lots of people would love that. They'd get rid of a lot of their other people. Just think about the devotion, the study, the, the personal wherewithal and working with people. Guys, they do it for the glory of God, not for themselves, not for their own name. Because if it was about them, they would, do, they would expect more money. And when you and I give, we support ministries here. We support our kids' ministry, our team ministry. By the way, our, our staff will not ask any of you to do more than they do. They'll put their eight hours in and then some before they ask you to put in then some. That's been the rule of thumb for years here. Many of you here are volunteers. You work, and then you give yourself like crazy to the Lord. Where do you get that idea? From your staff. From those people that are paid. And when you're generous, church, we're able to put people on staff. May God help you do that, because it supports ministry. Here's the last thing, and I've got to stop, because I know we're, we're all ready to go eat. Okay, well, here we go. Number five, what is it? I rely on God to take care of me. If I really want true financial freedom, I've got to realize that it's not money that's going to take care of me. It's not my job that's going to take care of me. It's not the government that's going to take care of me. God is going to take care of me. God is going to take care of me. I'm going to rely on God to take care of me. In Deuteronomy 8, there's another passage I'd love you to read sometime. Moses is giving the people of Israel, they're just now getting ready to get in the promised land. And as they're entering the promised land... He's, he's wanting to urge them to know something before they get there. They've wandered around for 40 years. They've had, they've had just enough food to eat. They've had no new clothes. Their shoes have never wore out. Their, their clothes have never wore out. That's God's doing. He provides. And then, as they're getting ready to come into the promised land, he says these words in Deuteronomy 18. Keep and live out the entire commandment that I'm commanding you today so that you'll live and prosper and enter and own the land that God promised to your ancestors. Remember every road that God led you on for these 40 years in the wilderness, pushing you to the limits, testing you so that He would know what you were made of, whether you would keep His commandments or not. 
He put you through hard times. He made you go hungry. And He fed you with manna, something neither you nor your parents knew anything about. So you would learn that men and women don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God's mouth. Your clothes didn't wear out. Your feet didn't blister those 40 years. You learned deep in your heart that God disciplines you in the same ways a father disciplines his child. So it's paramount that you keep the commandments of God. Your God. Walk down the roads He shows you and reverently respect Him. God is about to bring you into a good land. A land with brooks and rivers, springs and lakes, streams out of the hills and through the valleys. It's a land of wheat and barley, of vines and figs and pomegranates, of olives, oil and honey. It's, it's land where you'll never go hungry, always food on the table and a roof over your head. It's a land where you'll get iron out of the rocks and mine copper from the hills. After a meal satisfied, bless God, bless God your God for the good land that He's given you. Listen to this. Make sure you don't forget God, your God, by not keeping His commandments, His rules and His regulations that I've commanded you today. Make sure that when you eat and are satisfied, when you build pleasant houses and settle in them, when you see herds and flocks flourish, more and more money coming in, Watch your standard of living going up and up. Make sure you don't become so full of yourself and your things that you forget God. Your God. The God who delivered you from Egypt. The God who led you through the huge and fearsome wilderness. Those desolate, arid badlands crawling with fiery snakes and scorpions. The God who gave you water gushing from a rock. The God who gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors have never heard of in order to give you a taste of the hard life to test you so that you would be prepared to live well in the days ahead of you. Now listen to this. If you start thinking to yourselves, I did all this, and all by myself, I'm rich, it's all mine. Well, think again. Remember that God, your God, gave you the strength to produce all its wealth so it so as to confirm the covenant that He promised to your ancestors as it is today. If you forget, if you forget the Lord your God and start taking up with other gods, serving and worshiping them, I'm on record right now as giving you a firm warning. That will be the end of you. And what I mean is destruction. You'll go to your doom. The same way as nations, of the nations God has destroyed before you. Doom because you wouldn't obey the voice of of your God. Did you catch it? They're getting ready to go into this wonderful place that God's got them to and He's saying, don't forget I provided you with all those blessings. Don't, if you start thinking to yourself, it's mine and I did this, watch it. You're forgetting who really provided you with those blessings. So I say to you, all of you here this morning as we close this service, I want to, again, I want to share with you again one last verse. It says here in 1 Timothy, and I say this to you, don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for enjoyment. I don't know what you have. I don't really care what you have in a bank. You have a lot or a little. Trust the Lord. Put your hope in God. He will provide. He will provide. Be generous. Well, if I let go of that, I don't know if I, can, if I can live on the rest. He will provide. 
He will provide. Pay your debts. Why? Because He'll provide. Look at what you value the most. Trust Him. He'll provide. And you'll experience freedom. Financial freedom. Some of you here, you're Christians. That's what really you need to hear this morning. If you're not a Christian, you know where it all starts? Stewardship for you starts? Getting right with God. It starts right there. Getting right with the Maker. The one who really owns you. How do I do that, Tim? Well, it's more than a prayer. You might hear somebody say, oh, you say this prayer. Oh, it's much more than a prayer. Well, what else has it got to do with, Tim? It's got to do with really seeing your purpose and God's love for you. It's about looking and seeing your role and purpose in God's kingdom. And so, for you, I, want, I would encourage you to check a box that says, I want a personal Bible study. So you can get to learn. You'll know. This is what, this is what it means to be a real Christian. You know, we may be laid back here in a lot of ways, but we know this. You must be saved to get to heaven. You must be a disciple if you're going to follow Christ. And it's more than going to church on Sundays. And may God help you see that. And may God bless you with financial freedom. Let's pray.